Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for joining us again here in the StoryCraft Cafe. We've got an amazing show for you today. Join us over at StoryCraft.Cafe so that you can be notified of upcoming events and live author hangouts that we have all throughout the week. StoryCraft.Cafe. Thank you to Dabble, as always, for making this podcast possible. And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. I'm your host, Hank Garner. Today, I am so excited to welcome Jillian McAllister to the show. She's got a brand new book uh, just released. It's called Just Another Missing Person. And what a mind-bending, phenomenal book this is. I loved it so much, Jillian. I know everyone else is too. Uh, This was... This was one of those books that you just lose track of time when you start reading. It just, you know, the world falls away and you immerse yourself into the story of this book. And what a detailed um, plot for one, but such well-crafted characters that just felt like you had to get to know them. Um, I loved it so much. Welcome to the show, Jillian. Oh, thank you. What a a nice intro. I wish everybody introduced me like that. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, Jillian, um, I like to start the show with a a fun question sometimes. And uh, one one thing that I love asking people is, you know, when you uh, begin your writing journey, a lot of times you'll get advice uh, from people. Sometimes it's amazing advice that you hold on to for the rest of your career and sometimes it's advice that you wish you could uh forget or you know wish that you had never taken or maybe glad that you didn't take is there a piece of advice that you got from someone that's either has served you well or has been so terrible that it's laughable <laughs> um I was told once to finish a draft and I give that advice to everybody because I think the place where most aspiring writers get bogged down is in sort of tinkering with those first 20,000 words Um, and, you know, kind of indecision about where to take the plot next. And I just think just get something down Um, and then, you you know, you can go from there. as for bad advice, um, somebody very, very early on in my career actually told me I wasn't very good at plot um, and that I should play to my strengths. And I've become known for plot, actually. So yeah. I sort of stick a finger up to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. You know, um, yeah, who knows, um, you know, where someone is going to wind up in their in their writing journey. And it, it's so funny to look back and just see the ways that it, it could have gone wrong. Um, 
I, I've been a, a follower of your career for a number of years. There seems to me that there was a subtle shift in in your writing in the the types of books that you write a couple of years ago, um, especially when your book Wrong Place, Wrong Time um, came out. What, was there a a conscious shift in the way you crafted stories or um, there just there seemed to be something different about that book and your new one um, as opposed to the books that you published before that. And and not that I was not a fan before, but there just seems to be a subtle shift there. Can can you attribute that to anything? Yeah, that is a really interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that, but you're right. There is. And I think I think a lot of it is sort of maturation as a writer. You know, I was 30 when I published my debut here in England, and I'm 38 now. And I think as I sort of had a, a little bit more skin in the game, and I read so much particularly with Wrong Place, Wrong Time, I sort of felt a fearlessness of like, why can't I write a time travel novel? And just another missing person, you know, there's a big midpoint twist. And I just thought, why why can't I do these things? You know, they are bold um, and they do sort of, they're not just a twist where you found out who did it. You know, they are twists that sort of upend the narrative. Um, and but I sort of thought I kind of felt like I wanted to shoot for the moon and not not just write a thriller where, you know, there's a dead body and you find out who did it and it's a surprise who did it. You know, I sort of wanted to do something different increasingly, really. Yeah. You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but I think that may be the thing that I'm thinking about that I couldn't articulate was the the way that you um, just kind of played with genre as if genre didn't matter, uh, if that makes sense. Like it's it's a thriller, but it also has so much else to it. And, uh, you know, there. I think in, in publishing especially, we get locked into um, – these lanes, especially if we're, if we have any sort of success, because then people kind of, um, you know, label you as one type of author. And if they like this book, then, then you need to replicate what it is that they liked about that and, and kind of keep, um, you know, not that, not that, uh, you know, writing is, uh, you know, kind of cookie cutter, but, when you do find an audience in a certain genre, you want to keep pleasing that audience because you would like for them to stick around and buy your next book. And mm-hmm. um, that, that is, uh, you know, that there are, these are some of the things that come along with being successful that people don't talk about is, you know, the, the, the way that you are kind of afraid to push boundaries and upset the apple cart, so to speak. Yeah, I think that is, you know, everybody's liked a band who then released the same album again, essentially, but perhaps worse. (laughs) Um, And I think it is easy to fall into that category. And I think in many ways, once you are successful, complacency is your enemy because you didn't get successful by following the crowd. Usually, you know, I kind of find it surprising when, you know, something does well and then publishers buy up replicas of that because 
the trailblazers are always different. Right. Um, the true breakout books, you know, like Eleanor Oliphant, there was not a book like that until it existed, even the title. And yeah, I just think it's quite a conscious decision of mine, actually, to not conform and to keep pushing the boundaries and think, you know, there's, there's millions of thrillers where five friends go on a bachelorette party and one of them dies, right. you know? And I just think, well, you know, I'm not going to stand out on the shelf if I do that. Um, so let's, you know, do something completely different. That's what I like to do. Um, but it's a risk because, you yeah. know, some readers yeah. like mainstream stuff. And I think my stuff can be offbeat at times. I love it. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I'm most fascinated by is the moment of creation. You know, at, at, one moment in time, a book does not exist in any form or fashion, but then the writer is sitting there and either a character walks onto the stage of their mind or maybe they see a news article or something and it, you know, triggers the what if game, you know, to, to start mm. playing out. And then in some form or fashion, the book does exist. And then it's your job as the writer to dig it out and excavate it and polish it up and, you know, and go through the process. And then a book like Wrong Place, Wrong Time does exist. Do, can you remember what that first moment uh, of inspiration was for that book? I can for that one. Yeah. Some of them are harder work and they have like multiple pieces that fall into place but that one was a real and and this is the way it happens for me often I know what sort of book I want to write so I knew I was thinking a lot about time loops and I was thinking it's not done very often like why is there not a time loop thriller and then I was sort of thinking about how maybe the reader doesn't want to read the same day over and over and it you know it's good in celluloid you know because you can montage in film and, you know, Groundhog right. Day would have been quite a boring book, I think. Um, so I was mulling that over. And then I watched a news segment on knife crime, which I really, truly did change my life. Um, because that's when I suddenly had the idea of what about, you know, you wake up the day before a murder and then the day before that, And that just came like a bolt from the blue. And then it was very easy for me to plan it because I thought the night the clocks went back was just made a lot of sense. Um, And actually, you know, Wrong Place, Wrong Time is quite a linear mystery. You know, she finds out one thing and then the next day she finds out another. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of a, I get a feeling about what I want my next book to be like. And then it's just a case of sort of following my nose and you get a certain feeling about something and then you think well that's interesting and then you sort of follow that path and eventually it sort of constructs itself or it does for me the um when you first started thinking about you know why can't i um did just kind of making that that mental um switch to thinking i i write this sort of book then thinking, well, I can write anything. I'm, I'm the creator. I'm literally the God of this world. Um, you know, uh, was that a, a freeing moment to explore all the possibilities and to think in ways that you don't normally think as a writer? Yeah, I think I was in quite a unique position really, because I was successful in the UK. All my books are bestsellers, but 
I wasn't so successful that sorry, that's my dog. Um, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, that I had loads to lose. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was quite deep into my career. Wrong Place, Wrong Time is my seventh novel. Right. And yeah, I sort of felt like it was a good time to change it up. Um, I felt able to take a risk because if it didn't pay off, I still had a readership. I could write a very normal thriller next, but if it did pay off, I stood to gain a lot. And, you know, in America, I I was a complete failure really until that book. So I had, I do think in many ways being under the radar gives you a lot of creative freedom. Um, so that, I think that contributed because I sort of thought, well, you know, I'm not riding high in the States. So, you know, I can kind of do something out of genre really. Yeah. And it was a massive success here in the States. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, Reese Witherspoon Club yeah. and all of this, did, did that take you by surprise? Yes, it did. Um, I mean, of course it did because, yeah, you know, I, 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 I took, my agent took the book on submission. Um, so I, I was published by one publisher and then we decided to change. So she took it on submission and I had 11 rejections in a row. And I was shocked by that because I, I knew when I delivered one place, wrong time that I'd written the best book of my career. Um, and then the 12th us publisher was William Morrow and they said, yes. Um, but you know, after I finished Wrong Place, Wrong Time, I walked down the stairs and said to my husband, "That book's going to change my life." Um, and it, and it did eventually. But it did, um, it did actually take a while to get going. Like there were some sort of moments where I thought maybe it's not actually going to do it, but it did in the end. You know, rights in forty countries and all of that eventually. But um, had to hold my nerve for a little while there. <laughs> well, that that had to be such a wild emotional journey because for someone who has had success um, and then to kind of experience what a lot of people experience when they're just breaking into the industry, people talk about collecting all these rejection slips and, you know, before they finally break in, but you had already had success that that had to be a, a wild emotional journey. Yeah. And it's weird because you can be successful in one country and not in another. Right. And plenty of authors are in that position. In fact, almost all authors, you know, they're not even, you know, Stephen King will have a territory that he doesn't sell very well in. Um, sure. And I think it is, I was in quite a strange position because I was just under contract in the UK. So it was just a, a normal delivery. Um, but then it kind of exploded in the US. And I was also experienced enough to know what it meant. So when I heard the news about Reese's Book Club, you know, I'd had two books out in America and seven in the UK. And so it wasn't just like when it happens to a debut. And I think sometimes a debut author might think, oh, great. Like I really knew what it meant. Um, and yeah, it was just a crazy time, really. When when you said that you uh, after you had finished the book and you told your husband this book is going to change my life, um, did, w 
what was it about the book that gave you that feeling? Was it because you had kind of unfettered yourself from the conventions of the genre and the conventions of your career? Um, th- did you feel a, a certain freedom to, to explore things you'd never explored? What was it exactly that that gave you that feeling that that this is something special? And and why do you think um why do you think this book was that thing that sits head and shoulders above? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I felt it was a truly, truly original hook. I've never seen it done. And at the same time, it felt like one of those hooks of like, how has that never been done? Like, how does somebody not wake up the day before a murder? Um, Because, you know, everybody who decides to commit a murder decides in the past right so it was very logical and then in the writing of it it was just easy like the twists it was almost like I discovered them um they sort of wrote themselves really um and I just I actually said to my friend even before I had an American deal, I said, if I could get that book on Reese Witherspoon's desk, I know she'd choose it. And that's just mad to me that, that, you know, the writer instinct was so on. Um, It's very strange. Um, But, you know, I think intuition does play a big role in creative pursuits, really. Um, So, yeah, just I just knew quite weird, but I did. That's awesome. So, (laughs) you know, every year um, when you're on this schedule of writing and publishing and, um, you know, you finish one book, you do the promotion and then it's time to start the next book or or you probably have started the next book during this process because we all know how crazy the publishing schedule, you know, can (laughs) be. Um, I've actually delivered it. Yeah. (laughs) It's even crazier than you'd imagine. (laughs) When when you finished wrong place, wrong time and, and you, that was off your desk and then your brain is free to start thinking about new things. um, What was it that, that caught your imagination about this new book that you have out now? Well, I sort of wanted to do something completely different to Wrong Place, Wrong Time. You know, I think it would have been quite an understandable impulse to um, write another speculative novel with a weaker conceit or to do something sci-fi in another way. And I thought Wrong Place, Wrong Time was a crime novel and crime, crime readers read it. So I wanted to do a straight crime novel to kind of you know, put my cards on the table. Like I'm not going to be writing speculative fiction. I'm still a crime author and you can just enjoy one that has a time loop in it. Um, yeah. And then I, I really wanted to do that midpoint big twist, like the sort of gone girl style twist. And that was completely different to wrong place, wrong time. Um, you know, it's constructed completely differently and it was really fun in a completely different way. And that's what I wanted to do. Like something just as bold, but different. Yeah. Uh, do you consider yourself a, a pantser or a plotter? Where do you fall on that spectrum? I am a plotter, um, but I don't. So I do a very detailed plan, but I don't always get, I don't always get it right. Um, so I am a prolific redrafter as well, um, which is probably yeah. the worst of both worlds, but that is how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, do you feel like, um, 
that planning ahead of time helps you to kind of understand the shape of the story and to give you a direction to write toward uh, or uh and and then when you actually start doing the drafting, do you feel like you have this in your head? Does that then give you the freedom to kind of meander around as the story maybe opens up new possibilities? Yeah, I think I don't. I I personally can't write big plot twists that are not planned. Um especially the one in just another missing person. You know, you're able to read the first half of the book in a completely different way um, because of that twist. Um, So, yeah, I, I do find a plan, you know, I know, for example, in a scene, one person has to tell another person a piece of information and that's all the plan says, but then I get the creative freedom of, you know, are they in the rain or (laughs) on a park bench or, you know, where are they and what are the characters like? And, you know, what else happens in that scene. So it's quite a loose outline. I do really to, to preserve that creativity. Yeah. When you said that you were really a fan of kind of the, the gone girl kind of mid story, huge twist. When you start thinking about those in the planning stage, do you, do you think of uh, the story in terms of before the twist and after the twist? Um, do you see those as, as like, two different um animals so to speak you know the 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 thing that the reader knows before and then the thing that the reader thinks they know after the reveal do do you think of it in terms like that oh definitely especially with that one and i think that one is almost two books because there's a sort of first act that resolves itself and right. with, with just another missing person. The tricky bit was where to go after the twist. Cause I sort of had to ask myself, what are the implications for this twist? Um, and yeah, you, you have to think what assumptions has the reader made here and what do they know and what are they going to conclude and how can I subvert that really? Gotcha. Um, just another missing person is really the story of two women. Um, when you when you start casting your book with characters, um, do you do you always have your characters first, or as you're kind of unwinding the plot, so to speak, do they come in and uh, do you bring them in as needed? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, do the characters exist before the plot unfolds? Or as the plot unfolds, do you cast that plot? Yeah, it's the latter, really, which, you know, I do write character-led fiction, so it does tend to surprise people. But for me, I have to know what the plot is going to ask of somebody before I can give them a character, really. So they're actually very wooden in my first draft. I almost don't bother with characterization. Um, you know, and just another missing person. By the end of the book, I know that Julia has to be a workaholic and tenacious um, and willing to blur the lines of right and wrong, really. But it's only by the end of the draft that I really knew that. And then, you know, I always find a I find the character in a later draft. And with Julia, it was when she took her shoes off at work because um, that, to me, says a lot about her character. And there's always that moment, I think, um, in every book for me where they they do then announce themselves. 
it, it's so funny that you say that in the beginning, the characters are very wooden um, because when you read one of your books, the, the characters, um, you can tell that you are intimately familiar with these characters. And I, I get the feeling that, you know, so much more about these characters than what actually shows up on the page. Um, how, how in depth do you work on your characters? Even if it's just for you, um, you know, maybe do you develop backstories for these characters and, and kind of how do you go about the process of getting to know your characters? Yeah, I mean, I do do a designated draft, which is not plot or prose. It is just character, because I think once you know your character, especially if you're writing in the third person, everything they say is their character. Yeah. Um, and I find those sort of sheets you can get online, like what's their favorite pet and all of that. I find that quite wooden. But yeah. what I need to do to know them is... There's this, um, I listened on another writer podcast um, where they said the way they know they know their character is if a waiter spills water on them, they would know what that character did. Um, and I do find when I know the character, I can pass that test. And, you know, Julia would be scrutinizing them to see if she had ever come across them before um, in work, because she's always thinking about work. And I know that. Right. Um, her husband would be dithering around with the bill because uh, that's what he's like with the check, as you would say. Um, so, uh, but I think for me, it's just about distilling them almost to their sort of essence. And once I have that, once I can, you know, say who they are, like in, I think, chapter one, Julia says of her husband, he's the last person still using semicolons in text messages. And that to me is him, you know, um, <laughs> once I know that I know them, um, and then I can write the draft, but it really is often just a line, uh, that, you know, that, that line sums up Julia's husband to me, um, right. but it, it takes a while to get there. So yeah, there is a lot of work that goes on, but it's mostly me just ruminating, I think. You, you know, the, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, um, it really is finding um, a phrase or a, a reaction from a character that then allows the reader to fill in so much of that character that you don't actually put on the page. But, you know, that him being the last person to use semicolons in a text message speaks volumes without mm -hmm. actually having to say it. Um do you, do you work hard on finding those little keys that will allow the reader to kind of read into this character? Yeah, I really do. And I think it's about the economy of it because like you say, you know that that person is a pedant. Um, you know that they're bookish. You know that perhaps they don't quite live in the real world and get to the point. Um, and you know all of that from one single line. And that is always what I'm striving to do. Um, but I think you can only actually do that once you know the characters. So it's a bit of a catch 22 in a way. Yeah. Um, we have a, a comment from, uh, from Sophia Chang. She says, hi, Jillian. What a pleasure to catch this. I'm an inaugural Reese's book club lit up fellow and such a fan. I opened a UK audible account in order to listen to your audiobooks on this side of the pond. Um, 
what is it like having uh, an audience of readers uh, in the UK and an audience of readers in the US? Do, do you get different responses uh, or different feedback from the different groups of readers or, you know, are, are they all the same? Do, do you find that, um, you know, tastes are different here or there or, you know, are, are readers just readers? Um, that's interesting. It's hard for me to to tell because I'm sort of inundated by the feedback and I find it these days I find it hard to keep up, which makes me feel quite ignorant because I would love to respond to everybody, but it, it is just it's probably an hour a day and I just it takes me away from the writing really. But I think um yeah, I think American readers really appreciated the intellectualism of Wrong Place, Wrong Time. I really noticed that. Um, Yeah, which is not me saying they're smarter than British people or not, but I think perhaps there's a long uh, sort of trend of Groundhog Day type things in America that Americans sort of welcomed that into the canon, I think. Um, and they thought a lot about the time travel. Gotcha. In, in just another missing person, um, there's a, a subtext of the book of secrets, uh, or, or something that, that plays very heavily in the, in the themes of the book and, uh, in the way the plot unfolds. Um, was this something you were thinking about ahead of time and, and to, to kind of put a finer point on that? When you when you write a book and there are certain themes that emerge, uh, are you thinking about these themes ahead of time or at the end of the book? Do you look back and and kind of notice these things that have popped in and emerged? And, you know, I I guess what I'm asking is, um, are are themes uh, something that you intentionally put in or things that just emerge in the writing? I think that they emerge, but, you know, I sort of thought, oh, yeah, like both Lewis and Julia are parents um, and they're trying to protect their children. And then that's when I thought, well, maybe Emma could narrate as well. And then it's sort of these three parents of only children. Um, But a lot of it is not that conscious. Um, I suppose in any thriller, everybody's going to have some secrets, I think. Um, And a reader did say recently that they're consciously parents of only children and they weren't. I I didn't really realize they were all only children. So that was definitely unconscious. (laughs) (laughs) Julian, what are you working on uh, these days? You know, with with the new book out, um, I know this has been off your desk for quite a while now. What uh, what are you working on these days? So I have just delivered my ninth book in the UK, um, my fourth, no, fifth, fifth book in the US, um, which is about a woman who is a literary agent um, and she's at work when the police storm her building and say that there is a hostage situation developing in central London. A man has taken three hostages and her husband is caught up in it. And she says, 
is he okay? Like, and they say, you need to speak to the hostage negotiator because it's your husband who's taken the hostages. And he oh. just left for work as normal that morning. Um, so it's kind of a, a why done it. Um, but it's very fun to write. <laughs> oh, I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm assuming that'll probably come out next summer. Yeah. So I'm just about to get some edits. I think I've, I've done some edits with my agent and now I've got some edits from Harper Collins and Penguin over here. So, um, yeah, I'll be getting cracking with that. And meantime, I am planning the next one. So it's, it's uh, always nonstop here. <laughs> I can't wait to see where that, where that goes. Um, just another missing person is available everywhere. Now go grab it from your local bookstore, support local books. If you don't have a great local bookstore, we'll put links to it in the show notes of this episode where you can grab it from Amazon or, um, the, the audio book of this is phenomenal. Um, what do you think about your books being, uh, interpreted as audio books? It's mad, isn't it? That it's almost like a play, um, especially when they get actors to do it. I just love it. It's such a privilege. Yeah. And it's uh, I, I read a lot of books. Um, I'll get advanced reader copies from the publisher. And then, you know, normally around publication day, you know, the audiobook is out and then you get to experience the book all over again in a new way. And it's it's so much yeah. fun. So That's I okay. highly recommend the audiobook of Just Another Missing Person. Um, Jillian, this has been so much fun uh, chatting today. If people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're up to, is there a place online where they can find you and follow along? Yeah, um, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Jillian M. Author. Um, that's the best place to get me. Excellent. We'll link that up as well. Uh, just another missing person. Go out, grab it today. Jillian, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.